overkill, profusion, excess, surplus, too much, abundance. When it comes to the body of Christ, God is just a big show-off, heaping spiritual gifts on his people in an embarrassment of riches. I'm Laura Pace. And I'm Jessica Denny. You're listening to Embarrassment of Riches, where we explore the wisdom, passion, power, and grace that God has showered on the women of Dallas Bible. Good evening, and welcome to Embarrassment of Riches. Hey, Laura. Hi, Jess. <laughs> Laura's chain smoking has finally caught up with her. I'm feeling a little hoarse this evening. Yes. But I'm pushing through. You are. You, you sound can't great. Can't keep me from my art. You can't keep you from the art. <laughs> yeah. It's no, podcasting. you can't. Um, well, we have two, two special guests uh, tonight. Um, Wait, I'm going to stop you right there. Yes. You have a giant bandage on your elbow <laughs> and... An uncountable number of band-aids on your foot <laughs> and said you were saving it for the podcast to oh. tell us what ha- happened to you. Okay. And, and also my knee that's covered up. Yes. Well, <clears throat> Kyle and I just got back from Nashville. Our kids were at Pine Cove. And so we went on, I think our third in 16 years, maybe fourth if you count our honeymoon, in 16 years trip by ourself. Hmm. And uh, so we, we so we went to Nashville and stayed in a bougie hotel and slept till 10 a.m. every day and had breakfast or had brunch mm. and then you know had fancy people have brunch and dinner and listened to live music and all that and one day when we were at brunch um, oh no this was public this oh and oh Laura. I was really hoping there it was, just happened There was a patio, pool. and there was a patio. It was like you at the chicken scratch patio kind yeah. of situation, except far, far worse. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it was, I don't, I didn't realize that a city could be created where there is literally no shade, but that is Nashville. At any time of day, all day long. The sun is just directly this, overhead. I don't, I don't know. There was no shade. There was it's like all these tall buildings, but I guess they were spread out far enough that they were just not lending shade to one another. So it was so blessed hot, even though it was only like 90 degrees. And we decided that we were going to ride on these motorized scooters. I have oh, many, many times seen them. Involved. I've many, many times seen them. And like at volleyball tournaments, Lydia's like, can we ride one of those? And I'm like, I think we should do that with your dad because I don't, I don't. I don't like me in a in a driving type situation. I don't like you in a driving type situation. I know situation. you don't. I know you don't. I, but me in a new driving type situation can be whatever. So, but I was like, you know, Hank has a motorized scooter. I've ridden on that. It's not bad. Okay, well, first of all, these are way more powerful than the Razor ones, just, mm-hmm. just so you know. Second of all, I tried to get on it. And when I gave it gas, it did nothing. And then Kyle's like, no, no, you have to get it like kind of a running start and then give it gas. So I'm running alongside of it. I want to video so bad. <laughs> I'm, I'm running alongside of it, like perpendicular to the, to the, the road. So I'm running like towards mm-hmm. a 
Ford F-150 with, Good choice. With, with, with this scooter that I decide, because nothing happened when I did it the first time, that I need to give it full gas. Mm-hmm. And so full gas, I'm running alongside of it. I'm like, I'm not sure if I can get on it. I don't, I don't, I can't even describe to you what happened. Really, we might, Kyle, are you still there? most saw it can't. No, Kyle's not in the in the sound booth anymore because he could maybe describe what happened better than I. But I, I somehow got flung from the scooter, rolled on the asphalt, and um, landed underneath the truck. I've also I also um, I got up. I did learn to ride it. I got up. I I was oh gosh, and I was in front of the, the 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 restaurant. I was in front of their patio yes so there's like just hordes of people there's like an hour wait for this place hordes of people outside kyle before he said are you okay said i've never seen that before (laughs) then i got up and we started riding for a second we were going the wrong direction because kyle notoriously does not look at the map before we take off you know Uh and um we're going in the wrong direction we stop and all of a sudden everything went sepia did you have a concussion? I had did not hit my head. I think it was like the prodrome to the panic attack. Every, oh. So everything went sepia. It was really weird. And, and Kyle's like, are you okay? And I'm like, no. Something's off with my vision. He's like, do you need your glasses? And I'm like, no. It's like everything looks sepia. Like, it's weird. And he, but then I was like, it's fine. You know, it kind of, it kind of normalized. And then he made me take a left-hand turn across what I would consider the equivalent of 635. And um, and then I had a full-blown panic attack. I mean, I could not catch my breath. It was so awful. And, um, but I was so, like, I was in so much pain and dripping blood and had a, like, my foot knuckle, <laughs> my foot knuckle so is like you know, like deboned. I love the term you know, foot knuckle. Foot knuckle. <laughs> um, it, yeah, I was like, I'm gonna, even though I just had a panic attack because I had to drive on 635 on this oh thing. Gosh. Okay, Kyle said <laughs> it's more like coit, but to me it was like 635. <laughs> and maybe had I not been thrown off of it previously, mm-hmm. I would feel mm-hmm. a lot safer, but. I will never ride one again, but I did ride it all the way back to the hotel because I felt like it, it was imperative that I get back to the hotel so I could like clean myself up and bandage myself. But yeah, I'm I am no longer in a lot of pain unless I accidentally touch my elbow to anything because if you saw it, you would be disgusted. And my foot knuckle is not much better. I, my knee is the best looking thing on me. Mm. So that's what happened. That's why I'm all bandaged up and. That's the first and last time I'll ever ride one of those city scooters. And I previously didn't think they were safe, and it turns out I still don't think they're safe. Well, I'm proud of you for getting back on it. Now, did I say who our um, special guest host was? No, I interrupted you. Oh, okay. It's Christy Kirby. hey Embarrassment of Rich's superfan, Christy Ooh, Kirby. She's one of our tens of listeners. <laughs> she I, is. I Every single one. I listen within 30 minutes of when you post it. Oh, well, we've so we've missed you this season. So this is your first appearance this season, but we're glad to have you back. And we also have my sweet friend, Elizabeth Woodall, on the program tonight. Hello, Elizabeth. Hello. How are you? I am doing well. Welcome. Glad so, to be here. We're so glad you're here. Elizabeth and I first met, I think my first women's retreat mm-hmm. at Dallas Bible was when we met, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And because we were in the same group with Wendy Howard, right? 
Yes, we were in a our small group. small group. Mm-hmm. We were in a small group together, and then I want to say you have been in my small group all three years of the women's retreat that I have been. One year got canceled because of have. COVID. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, we have. Mm-hmm. That's really weird. I don't know if anybody else have I been in the group with every single time, but I I know I've been in the group with mm-hmm. you, and then you and I have been in at least two Bible studies together, right? Yes, two, two, mm-hmm. two summer Bible studies mm-hmm. together. So. I love Elizabeth. I love her testimony, and I'm excited for y'all to get to know her. Me too, because I don't know much about it. I'm going to try to talk as little as possible tonight. Is that, is that the, that's the that's plan? That's my plan, but I'll do lots of nodding. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and chuckling. Ho, ho, ho. Yes. No <laughs> wants to hear that Job of the Hut laugh. Well, Elizabeth, why don't you kind of give us quick, you know, synopsis of where you're from, who you are, how'd mm-hmm. you end up in Dallas? And then we can like delve into childhood or teenagehood or whatever you want, wherever you want to go. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, so I am married to Andrew and I have two children. I have a 14 year old daughter. She'll be going into high school, um, this year. And then I have, and I an, love her. She's in my small group. She is pretty great. Mm-hmm. You know, of course I'm biased, but, um, I have an 11 year old son who will be starting middle school as well. We have been at DBC for 15 years. Wow. And, um, you know, the way we found DBC was I would drive to work and pass it, you know, every single day. And, um, I was pregnant. And so we felt like it was time to start going to church and being serious about that. And so we visited one Sunday and that was it. Mm-hmm. I mean, from, you know, first time we visited, we knew that's where we wanted now, to Now, were be. you and Emily Jarvis already friends no. or did y'all meet at church? We or met did y'all at met church. As neighbor, neighbors? We met at church. Yes. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's neat. Yeah. And, and so did, was it happenstance that y'all t- ended up being neighbors or because of your friendship at church? So we, um, our, when, when we met, our kids were a little less than a year old and we were doing this supper club. Um, we were with the Martins and, um, mm. there was a big group of us and, um, we met that way. And so we just really hit it off and started hanging out and now our families, I mean, their family. So, mm, that's neat. um, yeah, our kids have grown up together and, you know, she is my best friend. So. That's awesome. Yeah. And that was a neat connection point for me at the women's retreat too, right. was that first women's retreat because Elizabeth was in my group and she was cabining with Emily and Emily and I kept giving eyes to each other across the room, mm-hmm. uh, because that we, she looked familiar to me and I looked familiar to her. And then we started playing the the game right. and um, Emily was one of my dear friends in college's little brother mm-hmm. and so she went to Louisiana Tech and right. I went to Louisiana right. Tech and I knew her from that and I knew her because she was Chris's brother but mm-hmm. I just didn't click. You've called Emily a brother twice now. Oh uh, whatever Chris, her brother whatever you know <laughs> Emily's brother her brother. Emily's brother is my friend. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Now right. Emily's my friend. Right exactly yeah. And where did you grow up? So I was born in Louisiana, in Baton Rouge, and then we moved to East Texas when I was in, I guess, third grade. Okay. And so I grew up in East Texas and then went to, met Andrew at a community college there in Jacksonville, Texas. It's near Tyler, so Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've heard of that. Or I know you've heard of Tyler, probably, but yes, my it, nod was um, for Tyler, not Jacksonville. Right, exactly. Not my many people have heard both. of Jacksonville. Yeah. Oh well, I've got yeah. East Texas. You roots. got East Texas roots. I got you know, 
You got Louisiana. Uh, Louisiana, roots. yeah, but it, like Louisiana Tyler kind of situation, but still, I don't know all the tiny towns. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So Andrew was playing college ball or you know uh, baseball there at the the college, and so we met, and I moved to go to it was Southwest Texas at the time. It's now called Texas State in San Marcos. Mm-hmm. So I was there. We were long distance for a year, and then he moved uh, there to to be with me, and we were shortly married. After that, I was... I guess no, were was, babies, weren't you? Yeah, we were little. So little, but <laughs> young. I was uh, 19. Um, oh, wow. And he was 20. Mm-hmm. So when we got married, so... And then um, we moved to Dallas because he got a job opportunity here in Dallas. And then we had our children, and we've been here ever since. And everything's just been easy and peachy it's ever been just, since. It's just been wonderful, yes. <laughs> so easy. Well, tell us a little bit about... Um, a time in your life where you've seen God show up in a really big way. Oh, we're going to start there. Oh, no, yeah. you know, how about, how about, why don't you tell us how you came to faith first? That's also an important part okay. of this. Yeah. Okay. Let, tell us that first. Yeah. And then, and then, and then let's go there. Yeah. Cause I got to warm up. Yeah. Warm up. I got to warm up to yeah. that. Okay. Yeah. So I always believed in God, mm-hmm. um, but I did not go to church growing up. Um, I did not start going to church until I was 12 years mm-hmm. old. And, um, we, when we would visit my grandparents, we would go to their Methodist church and I learned songs like, you know, Jesus loves me. And, you know, we would pray, you know, now I'll lay me down to sleep and, and those types of things. But the gospel was never explicitly shared with me. And so when, um, I had a really traumatic childhood, my mm-hmm. mom, um, is bipolar and she, um, is an alcoholic and she's an addict and was promiscuous and, mm. um, very violent. And so, uh, when I was about 11 years old, we had to leave in the middle of the night, um, just to get away from her. And ultimately, you know, she decided she chose, you know, men and drugs and alcohol over her family, mm. which I have a lot of compassion for her now. Um, but, uh, we do not have a relationship. Mm. Um, now, so anyway, so my, um, dad remarried my stepmom, Donna, and one of the conditions of the marriage was that, um, we would go to church. So we started going to the church that she was attending, which was a really charismatic, um, church. And, um, I had a lot of opportunities to learn, you know, about who Jesus was and we would go to church camps and I would feel the Holy Spirit and, you know, I, I really became a real Christian, I guess. Um, when I was 12, I was baptized in a swimming pool. Mm. Um, and so that relationship with my stepmom, um, I mean, she really changed our lives. So, and she did adopt me when I was 30 mm. years old. Oh, so oh, are you yeah, we call it our spiritual adoption because, you know, um, when she first came along, I had a really hard time with that because mm-hmm. I had been the mom, you know, Oh, right. forever and then here she came with a chore chart and <laughs> chore telling chart us what to do and I just you know couldn't stand it but then over time realized what a blessing she really was to make sure I didn't miss anything on that but did she have other children she did so she had a son um, from her first marriage mm. and then my dad had me and my two brothers and then they had one together okay. so it was a you know his hers our situation okay, mm-hmm. okay. so five kids was the oldest of five. What, what kind of change, how did it change for you? Was there a defined moment or was it her just being consistent and showing up and doing what she did that 
Yeah, you know, there is a defining moment. Um, like I said, this church was very charismatic, and so I don't know how much to really share about that, except for I was at a, a church camp and was overcome by the Spirit and on the ground. And mm-hmm. just, it, it was just, I can't even describe the the experience and, and the, the feeling that I had, but he was just all over me. Mm-hmm. And it just from then on, I just, you know, like I said, I believed in God, but I didn't have any sort of a relationship with him. I was always really scared of God. And, and I did pray when I was younger, um, when we'd be in these really scary situations, I would pray. Um, but it was more, you know, God, please don't, you know, protect us. Don't let us anything mm. happen. It wasn't really about getting to know him better mm. or anything like that. So yeah. that's amazing. Mm. Thank God for your stepmom. Yes. Yeah. For your mom. Yes. Mm-hmm. For my mom. That's right. Yeah, that's, that's true. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's really, um, I guess, the story about how I came to faith. Came to faith. Yeah. And then it was smooth sailing. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it was. It was great, you know, all the way, um, you know, through high school. I was really involved in the youth group. And then it was in college um, when I started really living a pretty um, risky lifestyle, I guess. Um, and so that's kind of when things changed. But then there's definitely even though I was not making great decisions in college, he was still extremely evident in my life. And he would, um, you just make himself known in all types of situations. And so, you know, like there was a time where we weren't going to be able to pay our, um, I want to say it was electric bill. And then we get this, um, notice in the mail saying we had extra money left over in our Pell Grant, um, you know, pool and here's some money (laughs) and it just like paid for everything. So he definitely, I can point to so many times, um, even during that time when he was, you know, protecting me and looking out for me. Yeah. Um, Elizabeth, uh, you mentioned it before, before we started this evening, but, uh, I think it's a good segue. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you had you you had said that you felt in the spring that God was kind of impressing upon you mm-hmm. that it was time to share your story. Yes, that it was time to share your testimony. Mm-hmm. And um, I have long wanted to interview you for the podcast mm-hmm. just because I I know your story and I know how God has shown up in your life and and love it and love mm-hmm. you. Um, but I, I just felt like, oh, this is the year. And so I, I reached out to you and you kind of felt like you felt like that was God just kind of confirming. Yes. it's time Yeah, to share absolutely. The- yeah. So I was prophesied over, um, I don't know, it's probably been about six years ago that God was going to use my story to help other women in my situation. And then of course, Emily has always told me, you know, God's going to use you, you know, you know, what, you know, the devil meant for bad, you know, mm-hmm. he's gonna, he's gonna use for good. But I was very resistant, because, um, you know, I have kids mm-hmm. at church, and, you know, people are going to hear this, and they're going to know some things about me that they, most people don't know. And so I was pretty resistant to that. And then, you know, I was telling you a couple months ago that um, I kept just feeling God say, you need to write your story down. I just, you need to write it down beginning to end because I'm going to give you an opportunity to share it. And then a couple of weeks after that, um, you reached out just mm. to um, invite me onto this podcast. And so I was like, okay, um, 
I think this is it. I think this is the opportunity that he's given me to share. And so I feel ready. Mm-hmm. I still feel really nervous, but I'm ready. Well, I, I think like, there's elements of it that are, are, it's easier to not have to look into people's eyes and tell them yeah. this, like a big group, the story, but it's right. also in many ways more challenging because you don't know who's heard it. You can't see their reactions. Mm-hmm. And so exactly. you kind of feel like you're walking into church on one Sunday after your podcast like, is yeah. released, like kind of going in blind. Yeah. Like who heard that? What mm-hmm. do they think? You mm-hmm. know, do they judge me? Yeah, that type of thing. So. Yeah. Well, so because I feel like God kind of gave you a testimony, mm-hmm. I kind of just want to release you mm-hmm. to, to tell okay. that and however you want mm-hmm. to. And, um, we'll, we'll, we'll pipe in and ask you questions or we may make comments or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, so, you know, I, I feel like let's, let's, let's release you to the universe, Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. And okay. That's scary. Start where you want to yeah. start. Okay. okay. So, um, you know, you had asked me about, you know, some ways or Laura asked about, mm-hmm. you know, some ways that God really showed up in my life. And, um, you know, like I said, he's shown up in many different ways, but there's really one way, um, really two ways that he, um, has shown up, you know, in a big way. So, mm-hmm. um, when I was pregnant with my son, Drew, I was told at 17 weeks that he was most likely not going to make it. And, you know, there was calcification on his liver and, you know, on his kidneys and, you know, all of these terrible, terrible things. And, um, um, so, you know, fast forward, he was born early. He was born at 29 weeks. He was measuring 25 weeks and was one pound, 12 ounces. And, um, Oh my goodness. Yeah. Really little. And, um, you know, when he was born, he wasn't alive. So it was 11 minutes of resuscitation and it is unheard of for, you know, um, or a baby to go through or go with that long, you know, without, the oxygen for there to be no brain bleed or any brain damage or anything like that. And he, he doesn't have any of that. So, oh. and then they would do all these tests and the calcification was gone and it was just, you know, one thing after another, just proving that, you know, God, it was God who saved him. It was a miracle. And, you know, even though it's a pretty traumatic time in my life, um, I always describe this time where, um, there Like, I had such a peace. Like, I never thought he was going to die. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we'd get these phone calls that, you know, we tried to take him off the CPAP and he crashed or his lungs have collapsed or, you know, all these different things. But, um, you know, we would go up there every day and and be with him and there would be babies on the left and right, you know, crashing. But I did not ever for one, you know, second believe that he wasn't going to make it. And that was truly a gift from God. And I could physically feel his presence um, in the room when I would be with Drew. Um, You know, people would say, I don't know how you're, you know, handling this. And I'd be like, I don't know how I'm handling it either. Mm -hmm. It's just really one one step at a a time. And so... I'm not doing it alone. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. He was there. That's right, Laura. (laughs) God was there. God was there the whole time. So... um, so, um, I'm going to make sure I don't miss anything, but, um, so he healed Drew and I had a, a lot to be thankful for. Um, but when he was about a year old, so in 2010, um, I don't know what happened, but this, um, grief just, 
you know, it just enveloped me. And I just was so, um, not depressed because I was thankful that he was alive, but I think it just hit me that, you know, what he almost died and that, Mm -hmm. you know, um, it, it could, he could have easily not been there. And, you know, he was on a feeding tube at that time and there was just a lot going on in my life. And so, um, I was in a really dark, you know, depression and I, um, always abused alcohol from the time I was, since the time I started drinking. In my family, um, you drank when you were happy, you drank when you were sad, mm-hmm. um, you know, any occasion, you know, you would drink. And so well, that you're was... Well, you're a, a Louisiana at your core. Well, that is absolutely unfortunately, true. Unfortunately, a character trait of, of it is our a, culture. That is absolutely yeah. true. It's definitely part of the culture. And so, um, and then my mom um, was an alcoholic. And, you know, I hated her for so many reasons and for, you know, her, you know, infidelity, um, you know, with my dad and for, you know, choosing, you know, other things besides us. It just, you know, this feelings of abandonment and then having your own child and thinking like, how how could you do that? Mm -hmm. So fast forward, um, you know, so anyway, I, I, I have struggled with, um, abusing alcohol um, in college and would, you know, drink really heavily on the weekends. Um, but at this time, um, when that sort of grief and depression kind of took over, um, it also coincided when I started working from home. So this was in 2010. So not only was I dealing with this, but I was also, um, isolated. isolated. Mm -hmm. And so I started, you know, I went from drinking on the weekends to drinking every single day. And so for the next, you know, five years, um, six years, that was, you know, my daily routine. So I would wake up in the mornings and I would beg God every single morning. I would say, Lord, please do not let me drink today. And by mid morning, I was off to the races and Mm -hmm. I was, you know, drinking. And so, um, you know, I was surrendering over and over again, what I thought was true surrender, um, but then failing and, and I don't know if it's because I was trying to do it in my own strength or because I wasn't ready, but, um, I, you know, I was out of control basically. And so at this time I was still attending church. Um, I was a life group leader. I was, um, you know, these are things that, you know, I worry about telling people because, you know, I was really active in the church. And so on the outside, I seemed to have it together and I was a pretty good liar and I could hide, mm-hmm. I could hide it. Um, so uh, what mm-hmm. you're saying, Elizabeth, is that people have sin, even people serving in the church. Yes. Are you, and, and, and it's they shocking, have, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. And they have imperfections mm-hmm. and, and flaws. Yeah, absolutely. Really? Yeah. Well, See, think... this was unknown to me. Right. <laughs> no, no, I'm, te- I'm teasing. Yeah, no, I'm just, I know. I, I know, yeah, you, no, I know yeah. you know I am. Yeah. But I'm just, yeah, I mean, yeah, Elizabeth, every, yeah, I, I just, I love your transparency mm-hmm. and I love your honesty and um, I, I just know the women of our church and I know they're going to love you for your honesty mm-hmm. and they're going to respect you for your honesty. Well, thank you. Yeah. And I think that that's an important part of the story because that, self-judgment that shame keeps you was, locked it was yeah it was driving what you were doing absolutely like you, you want to numb out from that mm-hmm. you want to ignore it you want to feel good mm-hmm. 
you can't um, talk to anybody or yeah. you feel like yeah. you can't. Oh, and you're like yeah. emotionally isolated, physically isolated. Yeah. Oh, it's the perfect storm. Absolutely. For and I did isolate. So I would drink at home. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I had so many secrets and mm-hmm. I was really dying, like withering away inside. And so there were a few trusted people that I shared. Um, at Jamie Grant is one person that um, was really there for me during this time. She's amazing. And, you know, I just called her one day and I, I just told her everything. And, you know, it felt good to start slowly letting a few people in, but I still was really private about it. And a lot of that, too, was, you know, I don't think Andrew wanted people to know, sure. you know, what we were dealing with. And so, and I don't think he even realized how bad it was until it got so really, bad. really bad. And so, um, cause you were functional, you were still going to church. Mm-hmm. You were still had your job. Oh, I had promotions. I was drink, you know, I was working and drinking, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, at the same time and getting promotions and holding it together. And, um, you know, so things on the outside really, you know, did, did look okay. Look okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, they say that, you know, alcohol serves you for a while. Mm. And it did what it needed to do because, you know, my childhood trauma and, um, you know, my depression, my anxiety, these things that I've dealt with forever, which I've, I've always numbed with alcohol, but you know, this every single day was just, um, I wasn't feeling anything. Mm -hmm. And so I was really sort of emotionally stunted because, um, I didn't have the tools, I guess, to to handle or to do what, you know, what would, what would be a healthy Mm -hmm. thing to do. And so, um, you know, like I said, I had hated my mom for all of the things that she put me through. And I still, I still have a lot of resentment there. Um, but I ended up doing almost everything that she did. Mm -hmm. And so I couldn't, I was just disgusted, you know, with myself and demoralized and, you know, and I try, you know, I describe it as like when you're so low that your face is like smashed onto the ground, like there's just nowhere to go, right? Except for up Mm -hmm. (laughs) or at least to, to, you know, cry out to God. And Mm so in 2015, um, so, you know, like I said, it served me for a while and then it quit working. And so I'd have to drink more and more and more and I would hide. I mean, I had, you know, it's the classic alcoholic, you know, I would hide alcohol bottles everywhere and Andrew would find things and, you know, we would fight about it and, um, you know, he just couldn't understand how really I had lost the ability to choose because I mm. did not want to drink. I just, like I said, I begged, I begged not to drink, but I just kept doing it over and over and over again. Mm. So in 2015, um, I had you know, been making some very bad decisions, um, putting my family in danger, putting my marriage, you know, in a state of, um, turmoil. And, um, so in 2015, Andrew had had enough and he basically, um, sort of gave me an ultimatum in a way of, you know, it is the drink or it is your family. So it was to the point where he was, leaving and he was taking the kids and um you know it's hard to describe to someone who's not an alcoholic how you can say things like um 
I had lost the ability to choose or mm-hmm. I, there was no way I could stop and then this happened and then I stopped. So that's how, you know, I try to explain that it was nothing that I did in my own strength. So when that happened, um, like I said, I was, you know, flat on my face and, um, and just was so low that I had, you know, no other choice but to really actually surrender and to give it to God and to be willing to make these changes in my life. And so, um, I don't know if it's the same day, but it was probably within that week. Um, he removed the desire. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was incredible. I mean, it was a miracle. It was going from everyday drinking, not imagining my life without a drink. And I would, uh, you know, and I go to AA still, but I would, I would be, I was still going to AA trying to learn to manage my drinking, but you know, um, that's not what AA is about. And so mm-hmm. I would go to these meetings and, um, you know, be there, but then, you know, stop at the liquor store, you know, mm-hmm. on the way home and, and all of that. But, um, you know, in 2015, it was in August of 2015, I, um, completely surrendered and just gave my life and my will over to the care of God. And he showed up in a huge way. So he, um, I'm not healed. I am an alcoholic and that's not something that I can, um, ever say that I'm not, I cannot drink like a normal person. I can never drink again. Mm -hmm. Um, and when I first got into AA, you know, these people would talk about being these grateful alcoholics and, you know, I just couldn't imagine life without drinking. Like, what do you do for fun? Like, Mm -hmm. that's just, you know, what you do for fun. And so, um, but you know, I found a sponsor and, um, she is amazing and has been there for me, you know, throughout all of this. So next month I will be sober six years. And so it is a miracle and completely, um, it's a miracle. It's a freaking miracle Mm -hmm. is what I like to say, because it's just no way that I did that on my own. So, um, yeah. And then another thing too, um, just a little bit about, you know, how God restores and redeems. So, you know, I really did lose, I was on the brink of losing everything and Andrew should not have stayed with me. And, um, he had every reason to leave and he stayed and, um, you know, it was hard and it's still hard, but he, he forgives me and, you know, he, he doesn't look at me, you know, I've struggled with a lot of shame of he'll never see me the same way. He'll never trust me again, those Mm -hmm. types of things. But I do, um, I do believe him when he says mm-hmm. that he forgave me. And then the other thing is that um, my children um, have a sober and present mom, and they don't remember me drinking. And so that is a huge blessing because I grew up in an alcoholic home, and I remember, mm-hmm. you know, um, I remember the drinking and the destruction. And so, um, yeah, that's another you know, really I'm so grateful that they – get to have a sober mom and I get mm-hmm. to, um, and they know, you know, they know what I struggle with or, you know, that I'm an alcoholic, but, um, I but think even I'm, God's timing to protect their little memories yes, of yeah. you and being around completely. And, yeah. So, and I think, you know, the difference probably is between my mom and myself is, you know, she didn't have Jesus. And so, um, I think it was, 
I mean, I don't know why God chooses to heal some and not others, mm-hmm. but, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, because I'm a believer. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think a, a big portion of that. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I'm, mm-hmm. And I, the, I mean, I often think... <laughs> I I often think I survived my childhood because yes. of Jesus. Like, <laughs> Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously you have an incredible story. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I just, what was standing out to me most was you've said that you still can kind of sense that shame mm-hmm. of some of the choices that you made. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, um, I relate to that. I know everyone who listens to the podcast regularly has heard me joke about my, my shame. Um, but I look at your story and I think like you're so profoundly different Mm -hmm. than I, I mean, knowing you the little that I do, Mm -hmm. I can't even imagine that being you. Mm -hmm. So my, my hope for you, obviously shame drove some of that behavior. My hope and prayer for you would be that you can just completely find freedom from that. Because obviously it's never served a purpose. No. Yeah. Absolutely. Christy, um, Christy, Christy comes on the podcast and is often quiet. <laughs> You've been so quiet. I remember my one when, that we had you on last summer and I'm like, Christy, uh, yeah, t- Christy, talk. I brought you, I brought you to talk. Come, mm-hmm. bro- come talk. But I, I, I'd love for you to kind of speak to, um, how you I, I and I know like shame like you you and me are somewhat shameless period so that's not our natural um or that's not our natural place to land I, you have some similarity points in your in your story with Elizabeth how 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 were you how were you able to kind of release that shame or did you ever feel it at all in even in the throes like um um the day I got out of rehab I went to church the next day and everybody just really embraced me and um I've I'm going to therapy now I'm trying to work on some of my childhood trauma and I'm realizing the different ways God really showed up with people mm-hmm. and so I feel like being embraced for just being mm-hmm. newly sober in this church and everybody just wanting to come take me to lunch that really took away a lot. I just felt worthy and um, like they knew they knew and, the and whole they story were circling and had been praying you, right? for me for years. Right. But they just loved me so well. And as a church, I hope we do that. You know, mm-hmm. I'm I'm that that's one of the things that like as I'm listening to the story and and I I remember that from your story, Elizabeth, is that I hope that by sharing that publicly mm-hmm. that there's a sense of God releasing that for, for you. Mm-hmm. Like, like that, because, because I think there is something about, and I think that was for me, like I carried, I, I did carry shame in my childhood. And, um, I just remember when I became a Christian, like that ability, I luckily have always been, um, or providentially, um, have always been placed with with churches and people where transparency was valued and, um, and where it was safe to mm-hmm. share your story right. and safe, safe, safe to share your struggle. And so for me, that was very different than what I grew up with. Mm-hmm. And, and so there was something kind of, something kind of magical about, about that, about like that suddenly I was, I, 
I felt like I couldn't experience unconditional love fully right. until like I released that. Mm-hmm. And so there was something about people knowing mm-hmm. that we're quite, it's almost like, I, it's almost like a requirement in my, I don't know. Does that make, is that resonate oh, with that, you at all? That, that I'm sure that's completely it. That when I walked in there, like my worst thing, I mean, not my worst thing, but basically the culmination of how I'd been living my life was known to everybody mm. and I was still treated very well. And so it was like, I, I don't mm. know. It just, I think that was very powerful mm. and maybe, I, I don't know. I shared in my, in my story, like, like, um, the, the Christian twins, but that, but what it was about the Christian twins was that they watched me live my freshman year in college. They lived on my dorm floor. Mm-hmm. They saw everything. Mm-hmm. And the way that they treated me when I first came to the fellowship, to the, the, the college um, ministry that I became a Christian um, through was like a normal person mm-hmm. that deserved to be there. Oh, mm-hmm. That's powerful. Mm-hmm. It is, and I, I think, well, I'm often harder on myself than anybody's going to be mm-hmm. on me, but it's a good reminder to be that's the way that we're the hands and feet. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is to embrace somebody and not, I don't ever want to say it's not a big deal. Like I know you made some wrong choices, mm-hmm. some dangerous choices, but to go like, I don't see that when I look at you. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't see that when I hear Addison talk about her family and small right. group. Um, like I, I think that that's huge is that what, that's what we can do as a community for one another. Mm-hmm. Is just go, I'm a sinner too. Maybe I wasn't an alcoholic, but I've made some really bad choices. I know when I told my very thorough life story to our, we did a, like a life story season. Laura did smoke in college. I did. I did mom. (laughs) Um, And it's coming back to kick her in the butt right now. Another piece of my story that I told in life group um, that I hadn't told very many people Mm -hmm. and for me experiencing that and for everybody to go, okay, (laughs) (laughs) that it's, it's that maybe, maybe we shouldn't outsource that to other people. Um, but to me it was really important for my friends to know that for them to see that as a part of of my story Mm -hmm. and for them to love me anyway and not think any less of me. What's interesting, Laura, is that I am in Laura's life group. And I love her and I pay attention to her and I listen to her. And I don't even know what the hell she's talking about. I don't know what part of her story, like, I can't even. That's because you look at me and, you it, know, no, it, but just, I want. Jesus just shines. It yeah. does. But I wanted you to know that, I, like, it is sort of interesting because it's like, uh, whatever it was that you said, I don't, I didn't forget mm-hmm. your story. I'm not my husband. I do know the name of every person in our small group and their children's names. Okay. <laughs> Unlike Kyle, who's mm-hmm. like, who's now? Who's that? I, I, I'm not even confident he could name my children. No, I feel like he could. He could probably name yours, but, but, uh, but I like I do. I remember your story, and I just in my mind, I'm like, what is she talking about? Mm-hmm. And it's and and again, it's not because like your story doesn't resonate with me or doesn't hear, but it's like I, what we put on ourselves is not what people who love us put on us. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. that's a good reminder. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's um, definitely a lie that we believe or something. Yes. And, and it's not true. Mm-hmm. 
that and, somebody and it's a dangerous that lie somebody because... that that somebody that loves you is going to change that when they mm-hmm. really know you. That's the ultimate lie. Right. Yeah. This is a good example because you can't remember anything she said that sounds mm-hmm. crazy. And yeah. yeah. Well, and I think too, I was I was reading a book. I can't get all the way through it, but she's got some good stuff to say. Um, but that's how I am with any nonfiction. But she was talking about she feels closest to her husband when she confesses something ugly within her, mm-hmm. whether it's a thought about a friend or jealousy or she just made a major mistake, whatever it is, like that's when she feels closest to her husband. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true for, like, you see my ugly stuff. Yeah. And you're, you know, we were just talking about Emily. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you guys have been friends for years. Through mm-hmm. that. Somehow. Yeah, and I mean, mm-hmm. that's a buddy that. Yeah, well, yeah. Obviously that mm-hmm. didn't change how she feels about you yeah I mean I did I, I, I did definitely lose friends mm-hmm. and there was you know some what of a falling out there with mm-hmm. Emily and I I mean people just don't know what you know people don't know what to do mm-hmm. you know they don't know how to help you mm-hmm. and so I think um you know absolutely you know everyone was there for me um but I did lose some some really um close friend relationships that I still grieve Hmm. to this day. So that was hard too. And I think that maybe is part of my, that was part of my um, hesitancy to share Mm -hmm. because I had experienced some some of that rejection. Yeah. So, and, and one of the things, um, you know, obviously in my profession, I, 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 I treat a lot of patients with um, alcoholism or drug addiction. Mm -hmm. Um, and one of the things that, and, 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 and your relationship with your mom is a perfect example. Mm-hmm. Your mom's not a safe person. Mm-mm. And the that doesn't mean she's not a safe person to anyone. It's just she's not a safe person to you or mm-hmm. not yet. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, like, it's not... It's not like you've cut her off, like, she's dead to me. I'm not, you know, it, it's that, like, truly, it's just not safe mm-hmm. for you. Um, that when people are first in that recovery process um, and they first get sober, there's no guarantee that they're going to be able to mend the relationships mm-hmm. that they broke. Right. And that's really a hard, that's the motivation, mm-hmm. but there's no guarantee. They don't always get, they don't always get any of them back. Mm-hmm. And they certainly don't always get all of them back. Right. And I think, um, I, and I don't, I don't know what the circumstances were with mm-hmm. some of those friendships, but you know, it's like, it's like that. I think that's sometimes hard on the, the addict is that like, it's like, I'm doing all this stuff. I'm doing all this mm-hmm. hard stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes it feels like it's for nothing. Cause right. it's like, you can't go back in a time machine. Not everything gets it. restored. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Not yeah. everything gets. Yeah restored Mm -hmm. and um and and of course your life looks so much better than what it looked like and there's redemption there Mm -hmm. and there's growth and beauty and change but there's still grief of Mm -hmm. because you often did lose something Mm -hmm. yeah but I also I mean I think someone's gonna hear this and they're going to relate Mm -hmm. to what you've been through Mm -hmm. and I think you know, I've had clients that have struggled with alcohol and drug abuse as well. And that, that experience of like feeling like this is muscle memory. I don't even know how to change. Mm -hmm. Like there's a a time that 
there's just this switch in my head of like, it's time to pour that drink or it's time to take that pill Mm -hmm. or whatever and feeling very out of control. Well, that's a weird thing to understand for someone who hasn't experienced it. So I really think that like people can be isolated in that feeling and talking about it and putting it out there, Mm -hmm. even though you have lost things along the way and don't know how everyone's going to receive the story could change somebody's life. Mm -hmm. So basically what I'm saying is this podcast is changing lives. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) 10 people. Well, anytime you put things, you know, in the light that Mm -hmm. are in the dark, I mean, it loses Mm -hmm. power. And Mm -hmm. so that's something I've, you know, learned. Yeah, for sure. So you said that God, um, kind of just removed the desire or took the, the, the blindfold off for you Mm -hmm. about like, this is really, it's got to change. What, what is your, what are your day-to-day feelings now about alcohol and Mm -hmm. how do you manage that? Yeah. So before, you know, it's, it's an obsession. And so you plan your day around, you know, when am I going to be able to drink? Mm -hmm. You know, you know, if I go here, am I going to have time to drink before we go there? You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So there's just this obsession around, you know, alcohol, you know, about around alcohol. And so, you know, my feelings now, um, it, you know, I have a lot of freedom from that because, you know, you know, I describe it as I was in a prison, but the door was open that y'all probably heard that before. Mm-hmm. Like I was in this jail cell, but the door was open, but I stayed in this jail cell like a prisoner. It was really, it's, um, you know, they say it's cunning, baffling and powerful, this disease. And mm-hmm. so, um, now my feelings are gratefulness because, um, I have a lot of things happening right now in my life. So I've, you know, got a son going into middle school and a daughter going into high school. I've had a few health issues. I'm going to have a surgery. Mm-hmm. I had one in March. I'm having another one in August. Um, you know, I'm writing my dissertation. So, um, I'm in the last chapter of my dissertation. And so I was sharing at a meeting, um, on Saturday that, um, I haven't drank through all that. Mm. That's a miracle because those are all very stressful, overwhelming things that in the past I would have not even thought about it. Mm -hmm. I would have just drank, um, to make all, make it, you know, Mm -hmm. make the icky feelings go away. And so now I just, um, you know, I mean, I'm not going to lie and say absolutely the obsession is gone. There are times where, you know, you'll be in a situation and think, oh my goodness, it'd just be nice, you know, right? Mm-hmm. Sure, I mean, and even to be able to ha- the, have the ability to like go out for margaritas mm-hmm. or go, like, right. I mean, that's that's a loss too. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not more important than your life. Right. But it's, mm-hmm. it, it, I mean. It is. It and is it, a and loss. it is in a sense, it's a loss. I mean, and now I'm to the point where, um, you know, at first people would really tiptoe around me and, you know, you learn in early sobriety that um, if if it is not necessary for you to be there, you don't go. So if it isn't, you know, and you always bring in a your drinking own car, situation in a drinking mm-hmm. situation, okay. um, a happy hour, even a wedding, unless it's somebody you know that you need to be there for. You know, it's just if you're not, if it's not necessary, you don't go. Um, and that's an early sobriety. And now, um, and and so people would tiptoe around me, and you know start talking about drinking and, oh, we can't, we can't say that, Mm. you know, around Elizabeth. And, you know, that kind of made it a little worse, you know, 
and now it's different. Um, my friends drink in front of me. Um, Andrew has drinks occasionally. My parents, they definitely drink in front of me. Um, and it does not bother me, you know, at all. But that took time hmm. um, for me to get there. So, and I think that's how I know that I'm, you The know, kind of alcoholic that this is. That this is it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that I cannot, you know, mm-hmm. absolutely ever, ever drink. One of the again. things I love that you're talking about is that like you're continued, you're six years sober now and your continued presence in AA. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I think is so cool about that, and I probably shared it on the podcast before, maybe with Christy, maybe mm-hmm. in other ones where we've talked about addiction or something to that effect. But like, I can't tell you how many people I refer to, um, recovery programs that aren't addicts mm-hmm. because to, to me, um, when I've, I've got addiction in my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I sat in on AA meetings, when I was in PA school, mm-hmm. I was floored, flabbergasted, amazed. And I like, I was like, Oh, th- this is, this is the mm-hmm. secret. This is the secret to healthy living. Like, this is what I missed out on growing mm-hmm. up. Like, it, like it is the secret. Yeah. And- and you know everyone should mm-hmm. work a twelve step program. Yeah, in and my so opinion. for me, I started digging mm-hmm. into the twelve steps mm-hmm. because I was like, "Oh, this is not this is, you know, this it's is not for just for right? addicts. This mm-hmm. is this is what emotional mm-hmm. health looks like. Exactly. This is how you yeah. do life." Yeah. And for those of us who didn't have that modeled for mm-hmm. us, it's like this is amazing. Mm-hmm. And and what I love about it is like. The 12 steps is it's like, it isn't like you take the, t- you get to the 12 step and then you stay at the top. Right. Exactly. <laughs> like, no, you go back and you do it again. Yeah. You go back and you yeah. do it again and you mm-hmm. figure out where you are mm-hmm. and then you circle back on yeah. it. And uh, it's, it's like running steps. Yeah. It's run, yeah. You know? And there's uh, nothing like, um, you know, I try to describe AA to people, but there is nothing like being in a room um, with other alcoholics because no one really can understand um, addiction unless mm-hmm. you've been there. And so um, there's just nothing like being in a room with people that have experienced the same thing that you've experienced, as well as there's nothing that I've done that someone else in that room hasn't done. And there's no shame. And I would go in and out and in and out. I would relapse, you know, leave the program relapse and then come back to the program. Mm -hmm. And every time I would come back, it was open arms. We're so glad you're back. Mm -hmm. Keep coming back. You know, if you're in AA, you know, those, those terms of, you know, Mm um, that you just, um, keep showing up, keep keep showing up, keep trying. And, Mm -hmm. and, and it's, you know, it's a really, um, and I think what I I love about AA and NA and all the A's Mm -hmm. (laughs) is that, um, for people that don't have safe community, mm-hmm. yes. one, it's a community, but two, like that sense, like I, you've already been sharing your story. Mm-hmm. 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 Oh yes. Yeah. Right. You like, there's a level <laughs> yeah. of you have not been it, like, but it, it's anonymous. Right. And there's, there's a, um, a protection there. There's right. a, um, confidentiality mm-hmm. aspect mm-hmm. of AA um, that kind of allows for people to start s- slowly shedding the shame. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's interesting too because um, I shared in an AA meeting that I was going to be doing this, and um, I got some mixed reviews. I mean, there were several um, people that shared. You know, you really need to be careful about how much you share, mm-hmm. and you know, you need to make sure it's safe. You know, just a lot of concern you know, around that for me. Um, and I think it's because, you know, many of us have been burned and, you know, things like that. But I just took their advice, but also knew that, I mean, I don't feel like I'm telling y'all every single sordid detail. Um, yeah, I mean, we could go there, but that would be a whole nother, (laughs) whole nother podcast. So, um, yeah. Well, and what's funny is, and I, I, I appreciate their concern for you. Mm -hmm. Um, but, the recover the, the the recovering addicts I know mm-hmm. are anything but anonymous. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Part of their story becomes that that story, right? And their ability to share that story mm-hmm. because that's how they help other people. Yeah. And um, and and, and that the, is the twelfth step, yes, right? Is sharing yeah. the message with other alcoholics mm-hmm. who are still suffering, and so I think that carries over to the church as well. Um, by sharing my story, like I was saying at the beginning, um, I was super nervous. Um, but, um, I was telling Andrew on the way, um, over here that I was nervous and I said, but you know what? Like, this isn't about me. It's about Mm -hmm. what God's done for me. And if somebody can, you know, get something out of this or be willing to come up to me, ask for advice, Mm -hmm. if I can be there for somebody, um, like I get it. I've, I've been there. I've done it. And so, you know, I, I hope that's what would come out of sharing sure. my story publicly. If they're spending too much time looking at the details of your life, then they're missing the point. Exactly. Christy, yeah. how do you feel like people responded to you when you shared your story? That was a while ago. I, I, I want to go back. Sorry. Oh, yeah. No, I want yeah, to go for... back to say, how, how would that have made you feel if, you know, when you're trying to come to church and stuff and you were still functional, if somebody would have stood up and said what they were struggling with that they were struggling with drinking or using Mm -hmm. something how would that have made you feel that definitely I would have had a connection there Mm -hmm. and maybe even felt safe to go to that person Mm -hmm. and share I was thinking like that might have been everything I don't know that would have right um, yeah that would have been powerful okay so what was your question sorry I'm no you're totally fine I I was just I was just curious what kind of feedback you got when you shared your story or if you even remember it so long ago now Oh, it's been so long now. We're recently, um, I'm in a new life group that's been open for a couple of years, and we went through and gave our testimonies. Mm-hmm. And um, I was kind of a train wreck when I was doing it. I like cried one time, and but I felt um, I, w- I was one of the first people to go because I'm super vulnerable, and my husband also. Um, I didn't feel judged. I felt a lot of love, and I I gave some details just mm-hmm. to explain some of the you know. It's like easy to see me and not realize you know I was like a hardcore addict. Yeah, you know, I mm-hmm. I was functional for a while until I wasn't. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's, it's pretty, it was pretty and dirty and nasty those last couple of years. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's, it's, I don't know, it's just, it's hard for me not to talk about it because mm-hmm. it's in everything. It's like, I don't even know right now. So I have a foster daughter and her mom is struggling with mm-hmm. alcohol mm-hmm. and it's like, maybe she, maybe, you know, she can submit, maybe like mm-hmm. she could give her heart to Jesus and like have some practical functional mm-hmm. help. You know, it's and like, what a great what, opportunity for you to be there for that child. Because mm-hmm. I get well. it. Like, because your mom you loves totally you. get yeah. it. Yeah. She just has a problem. Yeah. And it's like, 
it's very humbling and I'm already seeing it with like the CPS worker was just like it was horrible and awful and somebody sweet in my family was like well those kids can't go back there but like this girl she's loved mm-hmm. like she is very obvious that she's been loved but her mom has a problem mm-hmm. and like I I that just is the most exciting thing ever like mm-hmm. I can love her too and I don't think mm-hmm. less of her that home isn't any better than my home right you know so I, right. I think it's powerful yeah mm-hmm. cool well, um, is there anything, Elizabeth, that you wanted to share that we haven't gotten to or asked you mm-hmm. about? Is there anything else that you wanted to share? Um, so prepared with your bulleted I know, list. You know me. <laughs> yeah, I am a six, and so um, worst case scenario, I had to make sure that you know, yeah, in case well. I forgot what to say, I had to have it all, you know, right here. Yeah. Um, but you know, really, no. Um, you know, I think one of the questions that you may be about to ask is that big ask, Mm -hmm. you know, prayer. And so I did think about that. And I know, I think my big ask is, is that God would use me. And Mm -hmm. so, um, like I said, I've been prophecy prophesied over, I've, you know, had people along the way, you know, tell me that, you know, sort of preparing my heart, um, to be willing. And so I hope that, you know, God could, um, could use that Hmm. and so you know I don't know if it's in the church setting or if an AA setting um I just have you know I really have a heart for addicts Mm -hmm. I really do as much as I don't want a relationship with my mom and shouldn't have a relationship with my mom um I do I can I can look at her as a young woman and have compassion now um and so I, I think that's probably yeah. my big ask. One, yeah. one, one of the things I say often is they did the best they could. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, their best was often terrible. Right. <laughs> so true. <laughs> I mean, but really, you know, it's like when somebody's in the throes of addiction, Laura has just left the room to have a coughing fit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if you hear the door open and Laura hacking in the background, that's what's going on. Um, uh but, but yeah, I mean, I, I do think that, that it's like when you've seen it, when you have lived it, it does, mm-hmm. it makes you have a, a compassion mm-hmm. for other people. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I, like I, you know, I told you for me, um, I, I love treating addiction patients. Mm-hmm. They're like my least favorite patients mm-hmm. and also my favorite patients at the same time, because when they are not healthy, like it can be painful I mean it can it can can make you yeah yeah. it can make you just like I I I sometimes describe it like I feel like I'm being choked like I feel like I'm being choked Mm -hmm. like like it's just so intense and Mm -hmm. and combative and Mm -hmm. like uh you know it's it's hard but when people um when people go through recovery they become the light in the room. Mm-hmm. They become like they—they they give you hope for humanity. Mm-hmm. They show you people can change. Yeah. People can mm-hmm. really yeah. change. God can redeem a story, mm-hmm. and that to me is such an inspiration. It's such a gift for me to be able to witness somebody's life transform, and to to be a part mm-hmm. of that. Yeah, because mm-hmm. it really is t- pick two pictures, you know, of two different people. Mm-hmm. So I had a counselor draw a line one time and she said, you know, this isn't the addicted Elizabeth and this is the true Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. And because the decisions I made, um, I would have never made sober, um, ever. And so, 
you know, things that I said I would never do ever. And then I ended up doing them. But anyway, that was a really kind of cool exercise to see, you know, these were the things that I did here, um, was because of my addiction. No mm-hmm. excuse. Um, I still have to take responsibility for my actions, but, um, but it wasn't who I truly was. Mm-hmm. And I'd started to get the lines blurred a little mm-hmm. bit, if that makes sense. It totally mm-hmm. does. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I do not regret asking you to come. Okay. Thank you Thank so you. much. No, you I mean, I I'm mean, glad. That, and like, I mean, you, you, you did a great job. Thank you. Um, you're like, Thank you for trusting us with your story. Thank mm-hmm. you for trusting our church with your story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank y'all for having me. And that was me that to... was an easy ask. Yeah, totally. Yeah, thank you. And Christy, you know, um, we always love having you as our, our, as our Available special guest. Anytime. And um, <laughs> thanks for lending your voice and your shared experience mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. Well, um, this is our season finale of embarrassment of riches and um we like to go out with bang all right yeah. all right so right. elizabeth woodall closes closes it down <laughs> right. um we thank you so much for joining us this season and we hope uh to have you back next season we'll probably start again in june 2022 wow, wow. i know all right good night, good night.